0: Los moros que trajo Franco
1: En Madrid quieren entrar Mientras quieren milicianos Los moros no pasarán Mientras quieren milicianos Los moros no pasarán No pasarán,
0: no pasarán Hello and welcome to Revolutionary Ideas, the monthly Marxist podcast from Socialist Alternative. After a slight break, we're back. The song you just heard was perhaps the most famous song relating to the topic of today's episode. It was No Pasaran, the anthem sung during the fight to defend Madrid from fascism. Okay, so in this episode of Revolutionary Ideas, we're going to be discussing with uh, Becky, who is from the Political Committee of Socialist Alternative. Um, as we've said in the introduction, this episode is on the Spanish Revolution. And the, the revolution in Spain was really one of the great events of, of history, you know, one of the great um, events of revolutionary history. Um, and it was an event that showed, actually, that even after the Russian Revolution, flame of revolution in the 20th century um, hadn't died it was it was maintained um, through those decades but it's maybe perhaps less known that it was in fact a revolution you know the 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 mainstream historical view of, of the events in spain in the 1930s more often described it as just a civil war and you know it, it's that aspect of it that we have to bring out and, and 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 dispel and really get to the bottom of how it truly was um a revolution in uh, in the fullest sense of the word so First off, Becky, just to kind of start with some questions. This was a revolution that took place in the context of a civil war. Uh, But what was the civil war about? Um, How did it start? Could you give a bit of historical background to how things developed?
1: Yeah, so the um, backdrop, I guess, um, to the events of the 1930s in Spain was a big economic crisis. Spain had been basically devastated by the global depression that had followed the 1929 Wall Street crash. You had overwhelming majority of workers um, and peasants living in absolute poverty. Spain in general had a very weak economy. Basically, after the collapse of what was the Spanish Empire across Latin America... Um, And it still had quite a lot of elements of feudalism. It was overly reliant on agriculture in comparison to other Western European countries. Um, So, for example, 70% of the population worked on the land. There was very limited industry. And any industry that did exist, it was mostly foreign owned. So that meant not only was there a weak economy, but also a weak capitalist class. So that meant that any kind of movements and protests for reform, for some of the reforms that were happening in other countries, was explicitly linked to the question of the land in in Spain. And when you take that the Catholic Church were the biggest landowners along with the, the monarchy, who were completely hated at this time, it shows how very quickly protests that were demanding things like the right to vote or for better living conditions and so on were explicitly linked to um, the removal of the monarchy, uh, the separation of church and state and, um, and these kinds of uh, questions. And you also had political crises at this time. Um, in um, there had been a kind of Bonapartist uh, dictator called Primero de Rivera, um, who had resigned in the face of kind of movements against him in 1930. Between kind of in the early 1930s, you had big strike waves. You had the development of both revolution and counter-revolution. You had polarisation. The protests and basically burning of churches, strikes by workers had forced the king to abdicate. Um, In 1931, King Alfonso, he was forced to abdicate. And Spain became a republic. And so in this way, this was the start of the revolution which you know developed um over the the whole period of the the 1930s you had um polarization and you had basically one of the reasons that the spanish revolution is so interesting to look at for socialists today is that you had basically every political trend being tested um, you had the Socialist Party, who were kind of reformist um socialists. You had anarchism, you had syndicalism, you had the Stalinism in the form of the, the Communist Party. And you had some people that um, supported the ideas of Leon Trotsky, um, who were mainly organised in an organisation called um, the Poom. But through basically these protests um, that were happening and these strikes, You had um, these workers, organisations, different organisations of the left and working-class organisations becoming very big. They were, um, for example, the two main trade union federations, the UGT, which was led by the Socialist Party, and the CNT, which was led by the anarchists. They both had over one million members. They were leading these protests and strike waves. And there were attempts, basically, by... The working class and the poor to take power on a whole number of occasions uh, during this period before really what we can look at as the civil war um, started. So you had um, the, um, for example, um, the Asturian miners um, who were kind of in the vanguard of um, this uh, this movement actually um set up a commune um in 1934 which was um crushed uh, brutally um by the by the the parties that were in government at that time who were included liberal capitalists but also an extreme right-wing catholic party um called CEDA um they brutally crushed this uh, commune um, it killed uh, five thousand people in the course of that, and so you see over this period of time that there's um, very militant and revolutionary actions by the working class and the peasantry, and then extremely reactionary um, actions by the capitalist class and um, their representatives. Um, and so this this period of revolution and counter-revolution culminated in nineteen thirty six in February of um, a popular front government coming to power. and this included the left kind of left wing Republicans who were um yeah, liberal capitalists um, who um, supported the idea of um, you know not re- not returning um, the monarchy. Um, who supported some aspects of democratic reform um, and, and so on. Um, but this Popular Front government was also backed by the Socialist Party, the Communist Party, um, anarchist organisations and um, uh, the PUM, uh, the party that I mentioned previously, um, which um, was a, uh, a Marxist organisation. It was anti-Stalinist. Um, and it grew very quickly um after it was formed in nineteen thirty five um in the in the course of these um in these uh, developments um and so the 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 kind of the intentions of the republicans when they came to power in the popular front government was really to try and stabilize the situation they didn't really want to start carrying out a lot of the things that they'd promised but because of this kind of heightened situation and heightened consciousness of the of the working class um the working class basically started organizing things themselves they weren't willing and ready to wait for the government to act they started themselves to collectivize the land they took control of the of the workplaces they started releasing um, political prisoners from prison and many other things. So the working class basically started carrying out a revolution um, and weren't willing to wait for the Popular Front government. And this obviously terrified the capitalist class. um, And they realised that they couldn't rely on these kind of left Republicans in order to stabilise um, the country, and they had to turn their support instead to um to fascism to the fascist forces and so you had a coup in nineteen in july of nineteen thirty six um an uprising of fasci- fascist forces led by uh, Franco, who, after the end of the the civil war and the defeat of the revolution. To power and was, uh, you know, a fascist dictator um, in in Spain, um, and uh, Franco led the uh, Spanish troops um, in this coup um, to try and crush um, this revolution by uh, by the workers. And in response, there was huge uprisings um, of the working class. Um, who weren't willing to give up the things that they'd started to win and the power that they'd started to take? Um, you had mass general strikes. You had huge uh, protests, including a hundred thousand people in Madrid. And the the work the workers were demanding arms. They were demanding from the government uh, weapons so that they could um, defeat this uh, this coup. Um, and the Popular Front government refused to arm the workers. Um, they ordered people to stay at home. Um, and as a result, the uh, fascists actually executed many people. Um, and the this is kind of where we see the beginning of the civil war and the fighting that went on for a number of years afterwards. Um, between the kind of fascist-led um, uh, forces um, and the, you know, the, the reactionary capitalist class being represented in that, um, and also internationally the backing of, uh, you know, fascist Germany and Italy, um, and on the other side, what was kind of termed the Republicans, the people fighting for the the Republic, uh, which included many different. Uh, People, um, including socialists, anarchists, um, people organised in the Communist Party and um, in in trade unions. So that's the kind of background of the tumultuous events that were taking place in Spain uh, before the breakout of the, the Civil War.
0: Yeah, that's a really good summary, actually, of, um, of of how things developed in that period. Because, I mean, when we were both doing a little bit of reading, um, you know, just to kind of prepare ourselves for this episode of revolutionary ideas, what one thing that really kind of struck me about the revolution in uh, in Spain was how. Um, how complex it was you know revolutions are never a simple um affair it's such a, a complicated clash of different forces um you know and of different political leaderships and so on um and i think th- i think you know the 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 point that you made um a bit earlier on about how different leaderships were tested um is is really key because one part of what really made the revolution so complicated was that you know the, the idea of like one revolutionary leadership just didn't really um, di- didn't really come about through the, through those events. it was turning in different directions and different um, forces you know being tried um and tested over the course of the of those events and of, of course like like you were saying i mean one of the things that really struck me um about reading about the events in 1934 35 36 really kind of at, at the peak of the revolution was how even if a republican government had been elected which had you know pro capitalist uh, parties participating within it they you know they often kind of painted themselves as left parties and you know um yeah they, they kind of made that concession um to the mood of the working class they still defended um you know the maintenance of the capitalist system but even regardless even even though it wasn't um you know a government led uh, by forces that were pushing in the direction of socialism the working class still looked towards this government as a gain that they'd won through their struggle you know they thought well we've gone on strike we've brought down the monarchy and we've now delivered you know what was presenting itself as a as a um, you know an, an anti-fascist left-wing government um, and and of course that was you know one big spur towards this becoming a real revolution that you know the working class were prepared to use any means they could um to defend themselves and that even meant with arms as well um the working class being prepared to to you know physically defend themselves physically defend their power and their and their organizations using whatever means they could and there's one example that um you know is is really relevant to this um in 1934 and you know you mentioned the 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 miners strike the general strike um in asturias and one of the you know one of the um funny things that i read about it was how when you know they were staging this mass general strike they were they were preparing to get hold of weapons to defend themselves against you know fascist violence state violence um you know violence from the military and so on but they were also doing things that were very very clearly planned like burying their guns because they knew that the capitalist government you know was going to try and do whatever it could to take the guns away from them uh, but they were aware that you know this, this was developing in a certain direction that meant they would need to defend uh, their power at a certain stage um, further down the line so it, it, it was actually kind of consciously revolutionary in that way from the from the point of view of the of the Spanish working class uh, the Catalan working class the Basque working class uh, and so on and so forth um and of course that's 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 the key thing you know the 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 line that we're often fed is that this wasn't a revolution um and instead this was just a war where there was two choices one choice being Uh, like a kind of capitalist democracy bourgeois democracy liberal capitalism or fascism Um, instead we see it a different way as marxist we say that you know what was really the two choices um, on the agenda at that point was either socialist revolution the working class uh, taking power with the support of the peasantry or fascism or you know reaction and dictatorship um, but where did the revolution come into that? you know why 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 is it that we say that? Why is it that we say it wasn 't just a question of a capitalist republic or uh, or fascism? Why do we say it 's much more than that?
1: yeah, so I think there were people definitely saying at the time um including the heads of the communist party and the communist international that this was about. Um, fighting for republic for the republic um, and against fascism, um, and I think that that's something that continues today. That definitely, um, capitalist historians will refer to it, you know, only as the Civil War, and will only talk about the republic and uh, fascism, and even you know the communist parties as they exist now, um, and some trends on the left will kind of play down how, um, this was actually, um, a struggle for socialism or a struggle for revolution beyond, um, just wanting a a capitalist Republic. Um, and I think that that becomes very clear, um, or it becomes very clear that this was a struggle for revolution. When you look at the, um, the attitudes of the working class uh, prior to 1936, when the Popular Front government was elected, it wasn't really with huge, huge enthusiasm and trust that they were actually going to do um, what they've promised. And the Left Republicans had been in government previously. There's there had been promises made that hadn't been um, that hadn't been uh, delivered, and so the working class saw the elections as one way um, as, of and the Popular Front government, you know, uniting um, all of the kind of Republican voices, including revolutionary voices, they saw that as um, the best thing to do in the elections. But the fact that the working class started to carry out the promises of the Popular Front government uh, by themselves, I think shows that um, these... That what the working class wanted wasn't what wasn't the limited program that the, the republicans were put in uh putting forward um and i think that this um is an example of uh leon trotsky's theory of the permanent revolution which um is basically that in a country where there is a very weak capitalist class, like there did exist in Spain, for the reasons that I said uh, before, that and there's an inability there to solve the problems of the land because the capitalists are tied up with the land owning class. They either are the land owning class or they're in coalition with them. Um, the the op- objective needs to carry out socialist measures it becomes clear collectivization of the land was objectively needed to carry out any reform um, of of the land which is what the majority of people in Spain wanted it's something like 3 out of 4 people in Spain um were peasants so this was a very key issue for a lot of uh, a lot of people but it was clear that the Republicans and the, you know, the kind of the left liberal, um, capitalist class weren't going to carry out um, these tasks, and so it was reliant on the working class to carry out those tasks. But once they start doing that, once they start collectivizing the land and and so on, then it means that they start to go further. They start. It starts. Then if you're going to collectivize it, who's going to Make the decisions about what happens. If you take control of your workplace, who makes the decisions about what happens in 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 the workplaces? Um, and so you kind of, in an inevitable way, you get the working class starting to not just um nationalise um and take ownership of industry and the land but then to start democratically organising how it's run and making decisions. So you have the development of socialism um, in a a kind of inevitable way. Um, And I don't know if people have read um, a really good book by George Orwell uh, called "Homage to Catalonia, Um, because George Orwell uh, went... um, as part of the kind of international brigades to fight in Spain um, on on the side of the Republicans. And he initially went to maybe write some articles um, and, and so on. Um, but he ended up joining uh, one of the militias and fighting um, in, in the Civil War. <clears throat> and I just wanted to quote a little bit <coughs> Sorry, I just wanted to quote a little bit from um, the book of when, when he arrives in Barcelona, which was in December 1936 and he says it was the first time that I'd ever been in a town where the working class was in the saddle. Practically every building of any size had been seized by the workers and was draped with red flags or with the red and black flag of the anarchists Every wall was scrawled with the hammer and sickle and with the initials of the revolutionary parties. Almost every church had been gutted and its images burnt. Churches here and there were being systematically demolished by gangs of workmen. Every shop and cafe had an inscription saying that it had been collectivised. Even the boot had been collectivised and their boxes painted red and black. Waiters and shop walkers looked you in the face and treated you as an equal. Serval and even ceremon- ceremonial forms of speech had temporarily disappeared. Nobody said senor or don or even "usted." Everyone called everyone else comrade and thou and said salute instead of buenos dias. Tipping was forbidden by law. Almost my first experience was receiving a lecture from a hotel manager for trying to tip a lift boy. There were no private motor cars, and they had all been commandeered and all the trams and taxis and much of the other transport were painted red and black. The revolutionary posters were everywhere, flaming from the walls in clean reds and blues that made the few remaining advertisements look like daubs of mud. Down the Ramblust, a wide central artery of the town where crowds of people streamed constantly to and fro, the loudspeakers were bellowing revolutionary songs all day and far into the night. And it was the aspect of the crowds that was the queerest thing of all. In outward appearance, it was a town in which the wealthy classes had practically ceased to exist. Except for a small number of women and foreigners, there were no well-dressed people at all. Practically everyone wore rough working class clothes or blue overalls and some variant of the militia uniform. All this was queer and moving. There was much in it that I did not understand and in some ways I did not even like it but I recognised it immediately as a state of affairs worth fighting for. And I think that that kind of colourful description of what it was actually like gives a really clear picture of what a revolution looks like, of what the 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 collective... When we talk about collectivisation, when we talk about working class taking control, that's what it looks like in, in real life. And I think if you look at that sort of situation, it's very hard to argue that there the, the wasn't kind of fighting for revolution, that there wasn't fighting for a different type of society, one in which the working class made the decisions about what happened and how wealth was used in society.
0: What, what becomes very clear uh, through the pages of that book is that Orwell went to Spain expecting to see one thing you know what he'd been told by the media what he'd been told even by you know the communist party and arrived to see something that was radically way beyond anything that had been there um in his imagination um and it you know of course it it, it requires really powerful events to compel you know a journalist like george Orwell to think it's time for me to take part in this uh in this revolutionary uprising and to defend it what one of the interesting things you mentioned was about you know the the uh, public transport and restaurants and the public buildings being collectivized H- how exactly was that operated then how did the workers and peasants collectivize their land and uh, yeah how did that work overall
1: so it said about in 1936 when the coup first happened that the workers were demanding arms and the the popular front government refused to um arm the arm them and give them weapons. Um, but you had basically the working class and peasantry um, seizing arms from the standing army. They took their own arms. And so you had elements of armed workers control, um, which was necessary in order to fight for because you had the um, the working class trying to win territory and so on uh, within um, within Spain and also the, the fascist forces. Fighting um, the, the same. So it was necessary for them to be armed. But what would happen is when they kind of liberated a town or some an area from the uh, fascists or from the church and so on, that they would immediately collectivise the land. So that means taking um, you know, removing the land lords, the landowners, whether that was the church or individuals. And sharing out the land, so there was different ways in which this was done, but if there were a certain number of um peasants within uh, that area, they would you know share out the land uh, based on democratic discussions. they would hold meetings of the um of the the peasantry. there would be committees set up which would decide how the land um, would be shared out. Um, and then you had similar things happening. Um, in factories and in workplaces like shops and cafes and and so on, where committees were, um, were formed, um, and decisions were being made about prices. Decisions were being made about, you know, working conditions um, and all of these sorts of things, um, by the people actually, um, working there. Catalonia was the most industrialized part of uh, part of Spain, and it was the the stronghold of the the revolution. You had seventy percent of industrial firms in Catalonia had been taken under democratic workers' control, and so you started to get decisions being made not just in an individual workplace um, or a small cafe or bar or something like that but across industries and bigger um, factories, which obviously highlights the ability of the the working class to run society. Um, One of the problems, though, um, and we'll go on to discuss um, some of the uh, problems that the revolution uh, faced and maybe some of the reasons why it wasn't, Um, successful despite this uh, the situation existing is that there wasn't really the linking up of these um, committees across different towns and cities um, and across different industries Um, and so you had um, elements of um, workers democracy but you didn't have the beginning of um, the, the planning and, and so on that would be necessary and the strength that would be needed to be able to prevent counter-revolution, prevent the fascists breaking apart what was being, uh, what was being built. It was necessary for uh, fighting for the, these committees that existed to be more organised politically across the country. Well,
0: I think you've really kind of um, you know begun to touch on the elephant in the room really about this because, of course, we're right to describe the events in Spain in this period um, very much as a revolution. But one of the the the, the key things that we're going to have to touch on now was the fact that the revolution was ultimately crushed. You know, it, it you know was eventually followed by the coming to power of, um, of Franco and the the rise um, of fascist forces and so on. So. Of course, you know, this was a revolution that, despite huge gains, also faced a lot of difficulties and was ultimately um, defeated. Um, What went wrong with that, do you think?
1: So it was a very tense um, and complicated situation, like is the case in any civil war or any revolution, where you had fighting going on for years and you had many gains that were made by the the working class Um something like four four-fifths of the country at one point was were con- was controlled by the working class and these um committees and and so on but the the fascist forces were strong not because they had majority support within uh within spain but because they had a lot of um, funding and support from outside of the country, in, uh, from uh, the German uh, government and um, the Italian uh, government, who sent um, weapons um, to and and soldiers uh, to, to support uh, Franco's uh, army. Um, the Western capitalist countries, uh, who supposedly are, you know, were opposed to fascism, a few years later in the the Second World War, didn't offer any help at all to the Republican side in the Spanish Civil War, and actually blockaded the, the country, which created huge problems for the Republicans. Um, and as socialists, we wouldn't support, you know, the the working class in Spain at that time, getting weapons and support from uh, Western uh, capitalist governments, because it would have been on the basis of, um, you know, limiting the struggle to just being against fascism rather than, you know, the struggle for, for socialism. But I'm just mentioning it as something that there was a factor in Um, how um, it became quite uneven, the support that, you know, the financial and military support that the two sides were were getting. It also meant that the working class and left-wing forces um, were reliant on the Soviet Union um, in order to get weapons, uh, to get funding and and things like that. But at this time, the Soviet Union, um, controlled by Stalin, the, the bureaucracy in in Russia didn't want a successful revolution in Spain it was partly because um Stalin at that time was looking to build um links with capitalist countries like britain um and didn't want to be um embarrassed by you know a revolution taking place um in Spain but also probably the bigger issue was. The fear by the bureaucracy in the Soviet Union that a successful workers' revolution in Spain, which began to develop workers' democracy, which was being eroded um, in in the Soviet Union, that would give inspiration to uh, Soviet work, you know, the working class in in uh, in the Soviet Union to overthrow the bureaucracy. So there was great fear by. Um, the Soviet Union um, of this going too far in in, in their eyes, um, and so this led to a whole number of polit- political mistakes and betrayals by the Stalinist uh, leadership of the the Communist Party and the Comintern internationally. On the so, whilst they were promising to give. Uh, weapons to the uh, to the working class and to the uh, to the militias um, and and so on. It was on the basis of trying to destroy the um, committees, the workers committees um, trying to hold back many of the gains that um, were being made. They were even you know arrestor- arresting and torturing people who were arguing for for revolution. Um, And they put it forward as being um, this kind of, yeah, the the fight is against fascism. We need to defeat fascism first, and then we can talk about socialism at a later stage. But the only way that we're going to defeat fascism is if we unite with the capitalist class. We need to unite with them in order to defeat fascism. That's the biggest threat. Um, And then after we've defeated fascism, then we can um, go on to to fight for um, socialism. Um, and this was one of the key mistakes made, uh, which led to the defeat of the of the revolution.
0: One of the things that is really striking is how much the Stalinists and the, you know, the corrupt uh, dictatorship, the bureaucracy in the Soviet Union, essentially did everything it could within its own power to make, you know, reality what they were claiming um, about the Civil War. They said, oh, this isn't a revolution, you know, there's there's no question of socialism right now, no question of the working class taking power, but actually, you know, the the, the new organisations of the working class and of the peasants, um, you know, the committees, um, you know, the mass organisations being used to run the streets of Barcelona, you know, the streets of Madrid, um, you know, the, the rural areas with the peasants running their land, it was all with the intention of closing... Closing those down and kind of um what's the word? Just sort of like shoehorning it into the aims um of the liberal capitalists. So, you know, we, we have to call it by what it is. It, it was it was counter-revolutionary. And it wasn't just counter-revolutionary, you know, the role that the Stalinists were playing within Spain itself. As as you mentioned, it was it was a global thing. It was part of this overall picture of the Stalinist bureaucracy essentially saying to itself. Well, we have to defend our privileges. We have to defend, um, you know, our abusive bureaucratic power within Russia. And the best way for us to do it is for us to get on board capitalist governments um, across Europe. So the the kind of you know line of the of the Communist Party, um, which which is actually you know put forward very well in a, a film by um, Ken Loach called uh, Land and Freedom, uh, which you know I, I recommend people watch. It's you know it's very. Uh, yeah, very very easy, easily digestible, very easy to understand. But the line they're putting forward, and it's represented well in that film, is we need the support of Britain, we need the support of France. Um, but the, the funny thing about that was there was no other way to win the support of workers in those countries without making a direct appeal to them to stage their own revolutions, to stage their own um strikes in solidarity with the workers of Spain. Um and, and just to be clear, like in in France at the time. You had actually a situation that maybe wasn't as developed as it was in Spain, uh, but in many ways was resembling it. You know, you had a popular front government that had the Communist Party, you know, taking part in it, but then also liberal capitalist forces, you know, the kind of... in 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 a way sort of like France's equivalent of the Lib Dems uh, being in government and what the communist party did not just in Spain but around the world was to say um let's just kind of water down our political approach to put ourselves on a par um with with liberal you know so-called progressive capitalism so they were they were they were publishing this line in France and in Britain that oh this isn't a revolution to prevent the working class kind of you know flexing their collective strength Uh, Because it would have only been that, that could have actually, you know, defeated the rise of fascism uh, in the first place. There was no other way uh, around it. But, you know, of of course, at the same time, it wasn't just the Stalinists that were playing, um, you know, a role... In the Spanish Revolution at that stage, um, there were also other forces. We mentioned the anarchists who, you know, had a huge organization, the CNT, uh, you know, around a million members, as you mentioned earlier. But also the PUM, this this kind of anti-Salinist party that had sort of Trotskyist origins, origins in, in those that were, you know, working alongside Leon Trotsky. But Leon Trotsky was also quite critical of both of these other two forces and was was quite clear in a lot of his writings at the time, and in terms of, you know, a lot a lot of what um the Trotskyists were saying at the time that they weren't providing a, a viable revolutionary alternative to Stalinism. But why was that? What were they doing and what were they failing to do?
1: Yeah, I think that when we look at the different political trends and particularly the role played by um the Stalinists. i think it's important that we recognize that this is kind of actions by the leadership of these organizations and is not a reflection of the heroism of the the working class uh, many of whom like gave gave their lives in order to try and fight for revolution um, in Spain and i think that's why um, you know, the betrayal of the Stalinist leadership is so sickening, um, and why we have to look at the mistakes that other organizations made, even if they are well intentioned, like the the leadership of the anarchists and the leadership of PUM. The um, leader of uh, the PUM was executed when Franco came to power. So, you know, these people weren't about. Trying to destroy the revolution, they just had wrong um, approaches. And, um, you know, that's why it's important for us to learn the lessons um, of these mistaken approaches so that in future revolutionary movements, we can try and avoid uh, making um, these mistakes. And I think it comes back to both, you know, the anarchists and the POOM. It comes back to this idea of popular frontism. Um, and a popular front is. You know something that Trotsky um, argued against, really, because it can seem like a, a good idea that when you're faced with fascism and you're faced with very reactionary um, capitalist uh, movements um, that are trying to crush the working class and uh, take away democratic rights and and so on, it can seem like a good idea for everybody who's against that to get together, but what Trotsky put forward was the idea of a united front not a popular front and a united front was based on working class organisations and the importance of the working class playing an independent role and there might be different ideas and different trends within this united front there could be debate on the tactics and strategy um for uh, for the movement but that everybody involved in that needs to be on the, the side of the, the working class. And what you saw in Spain with the popular front is that actually the Republicans and the what was kind of described as the liberal capitalist class actually represented nothing in the country. It was the anarchist organisations and the workers' organisations, the socialist organisations that represented the working class. The capitalist class didn't, it was a shadow, it didn't actually represent anything. And so by entering popular front governments and um, dropping your program and uh, your ideas in order to, you know, on uh, to try and build unity with the, the liberal capitalists is actually giving more power to them rather than giving power to to the working class which was which was necessary so you have the the role of the anarchists who you know many anarchist workers and syndicalist workers in in Spain were heroic fighters um some of the best uh the best fighters during um the the civil war but the ideology of anarchism which is to not enter any government to not take power not to take political power but to oppose any kind of state regardless of whether that's a worker state or a capitalist state that led to ultimately the 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 failures of of the anarchist organizations in uh in relation to to spain so they could have the anarchist organizations could have taken power in 1936 when you had the working class um, fighting, um, uh, you know, t- taking control of the workplaces, taking control um, of, of the land but the anarchists refused because um, of, of this ideology that they have. But then later on they actually entered the Popular Front government when it was actually playing a reactionary role, when it was actually trying to limit the revolution. And um, this caused like huge confusion around uh, amongst the um, the syndicalist workers, um, and they ended up in a position where they were justifying um, the line, the Stalinist line. Like you were saying, Tom of like we need the support from outside, um, and this is how we're going to get it. And they justified this as like a price that needed to be paid so that they could get uh, weapons. Um, and you know, ultimately, this led to um, led to the defeat. And similarly with the, the role that the, the, the PUM plays, they didn't put forward an independent programme and actually trailed behind the anarchists, the CNT union leadership. Um, and they weren't really willing to raise openly what their differences were. And they had political differences with anarchism and um, at least formally, you know, agreed with the ideas that Trotsky was putting forward of now that you have these committees that are being formed in Spain, you need to fight for um, them to be independent committees, to be elected. They weren't really elected, they weren't subject to recall, um, for them to be organized on a local, regional, and national basis, and for power to be put in the, the hands of these um these committees. Um and the the PUM didn't want to um, kind of disagree with the anarchist um, leadership because of how uh, much support the anarchists um, had. Um, <clears throat> but some of the best um, class fighters were involved in, in the poom. They did enter the Popular Front government, but they were expelled from it in 1936. And actually it became an illegal organisation by the Popular Front government in 1937. It outlawed the PUM um and that is um kind of a reflection of the support the PUM could have um developed in its kind of anti-stalinist and marxist um ideas but it didn't organize itself in a way that it could win the it could win the working class to its program um and it in in you know, it didn't put it didn't successfully put forward its program and organize independently enough in order to win uh, people to uh, to its uh, to its program. Um, so um, this meant that you know, the, um, despite the heroism of people organized in in the Poom, they were then basically forced to give up their uh, give up their weapons um, in order, you know, by the um, by the Stalinists um, and the the Popular Front um, leadership, and that film "One's and Freedom" that you referred to, Tom, there's yeah quite heartbreaking scenes towards the end that are showing this process where the 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 fighters organized in the Puma, you know, having to put down their weapons um, and give up uh, fighting, knowing that this will lead to the um, the victory um, of a uh, Franco.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I mean, thanks for coming on to Revolutionary Ideas and, uh, and, and and speaking on this topic, Becky. I think that, you know, I've certainly learned a lot and many of our uh, listeners will have learned a lot um, as well. I guess overall, what we could kind of finish on is, um, well, well, first off, I mean, obviously, we've kind of already established that the Spanish Revolution was one of the most incredible, you know, revolutionary events or revolutionary periods um, in history. And the real kind of significance of it uh, wasn't just that it was a fight against fascism, it ultimately became that, uh, but it also could have been the beginning um, of a process towards World um, Socialist Revolution. But of course, you know... there's a lot of tragedy involved in these events, like you were saying. It did end on a on a tragic basis with the coming to power um, of fascism in Spain. And really, actually, you know, it, it kind of foreshadowed the events um, of World War II. You know, a, a successful workers-led revolution in Spain, you know, proceeding towards, you know, socialist change, um, could have really... Made history turn out to be something very different to what it became, um, you know, with the rise uh, of World War Two, and I, I don't think we should ever um, kind of forget that—that that this was an opportunity squandered, really, by the lack of a of a consistent um, and and, and well trained and prepared revolutionary uh, Marxist leadership. But really, you know, I, I, th- I think one of the key things we have to kind of remind ourselves of is that this isn't just a matter of history, is it? It's not just a matter for the historical record. There are real lessons. Uh, to be learned today real lessons uh to be pulled out of these uh of these events so just to kind of finish one last question how in 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 a few points could you say that these events would still be uh, relevant for socialists uh today
1: yeah i think it's really uh an important event to study in a lot of detail for any socialist or anybody that wants to change society as i said at the beginning um Nearly every political trend was tested in in Spain and all of them failed. All of them failed the working class. And I think the the ideas of anarchism, uh, the ideas of Stalinism, um, these need to be studied and debated out uh, within the movement today in relation to what happened in Spain and other examples, um, around the world so that we can learn from, uh, from these mistakes. And I think it highlights that ideology is not, you know, an academic question, the political ideas that you have, um, that an organization organization has is fundamental to be a- to being able to develop the correct strategy and the correct tactics. Um, And this is, I think, relevant to, you know, any campaign or any strike that happens on a local level, but it becomes quite literally a life or death issue when um, we see revolutionary movements. Um, And I think the role of um, the working class playing an independent... The question of the working class playing an independent role is a key question that comes up time and time again. We can see it now... In uh, Ukraine, how can the the workers of Ukraine uh, defeat Russian imperialism? And do they go into coalition with uh, the capitalist class um, of uh, Ukraine? Um, do they rely on NATO and uh, you know Western imperialism? Um, and you know that's just one example of where these questions uh, come up, and you know the lessons need to be. Need to be learned. I think the idea of um, how we fight fascism, and you know that includes how we fight the far right, uh, whether that's in um, you know in the US, um, small in a small way in in Britain, but looking at uh, France um, uh, with the the recent uh, presidential uh, elections and and so on, the the idea that we can't separate. The fight against fascism and the far right from the fight for socialist change, because it's the conditions of capitalism that create illusions in fascism, create support for fascism, and it's the crisis within the capitalist system that means that potentially the capitalist class will resort to fascism in order to crush um, working class uh, movements. Um, so these things can't be can't be separated. Um, but I think. Um, it also points to the need for a revolutionary party and um, the need for us to go further than just the working class setting up um, committees and taking control of the, the workplaces and collectivising the land and so on. It needs a, a revolutionary party to organise that and to fight for political power to be put into the hands of, of the working class Um, as well on a national and international uh, basis but I think the last thing that I'll say is that looking even at something like the Spanish Revolution when it has ended in in tragedy and in defeat the um, events over that 10 year period highlight to me the heroism of the working class and the willingness of the working class to fight um, for socialist change and that's something that we should always um, remember and have confidence in the working class being able to change society today.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Revolutionary Ideas. Keep posted for upcoming episodes, but to do that, please subscribe and follow us on all platforms. Those include iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. Interested in reading more about this subject? Please go to internationalsocialist.net and search Spanish Revolution. Just last summer, we produced an article titled, 85 Years On, Fascist Coup Sparks Spanish Revolution. The link to that will be included in the description. But if you're looking for something maybe a bit longer, we recommend the classic book by American Trotskyist Felix Morrow called Revolution and Counter-Revolution in Spain. Last but not least, please get in touch with Socialist Alternative today. On Facebook, we're Socialist Alternative, ISA, England, Wales and Scotland. On Twitter, we're Socialist Alt EWS. On Instagram, Socialist Alternative dot EWS. And on TikTok, Socialist underscore Vids. To join Socialist Alternative, go to Socialist Alternative dot net and click sign up to get involved. Thank you very much. En el
1: Ebro se han hundido las banderas italianas y en los
0: puentes
1: solo quedan las que son republicanas. Y en los puentes solo quedan las que son republicanas. No pasarán, no pasarán, no
0: pasarán, no pasarán.